So if the hedge funds go into a mode where they start selling everything that's not nailed down in their office, when the market stock market goes into crash mode, then yeah, I think we'll get a brief down ride on the broke on the elevator with a broken cable with gold, but I think it'll be brief. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And we are digging back into the chaos that we've been witnessing in the financial markets over the past couple of days and weeks, but particularly in the bond market, as well as carrying over to the gold and silver markets. And fortunately, I'm joined by my dear friend, Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics, who we're going to pick his brain today on some of the things that he is seeing going on out there in a rather volatile time that has a lot of people concerned. We're seeing some big moves in bonds in particular, um, getting to the point, perhaps one could describe it as disorderly. And with that said, Dave, great to have you here. Uh, it's been a while since we did this together, but nice to see you today, especially in front of your beautiful Fortuna ounce there. And how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, can we just correct something here? Sure. It's more like you're joining me on my bi-weekly podcast, but I let you take the lead because I feel bad for you because the Broncos are about ready to put a herd hurting on the Jets this Sunday. Well, we'll see about that. As Dave <laughs> is mentioning, part of the reason we're doing this together is before the season, David's a big Broncos fan, I'm a big Jets fan, and uh, we bet an eagle on wins outright for the year, as well as two eagles on this week's game. And Dave, you were saying before we started recording, we we both had a little bit more optimism about the season <laughs> about five weeks ago. Has not gone uh, quite as planned for either of our squads. And before we dig into bond market chaos and all that other fun stuff, any thoughts on what we're going to see this weekend? I know. In addition to the Short Sellers Journal and the Mining Stock Journal, we might one day have Dave's football picks. So how do you see things breaking down this weekend? You know, I just want to say, you know, the Jets, the Jets issues, I mean, they have a great defense, right? Their their issue is explainable because their franchise quarterback went down, what, in the in the first half of the, of, of his first game as a as a Jet? Four Aaron Rodgers. Four plays in. Yeah, four plays in. So I mean, at least at least you you know, it's 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 emotional solace to know that you know that it was something that's beyond your control. Now that said, any given Sunday, you know the Jets have a great defense. Maybe Zach Wilson, you know, has a conversation with with his God, and and God helps him out, and the Holy Spirit's with him. And he pulls off a miracle. So that's how I think about, that's what I think is going to happen this Sunday. How about you? Oh, I think there's a chance, although it's it's interesting. The last couple of weeks on Sunday watching football, it feels like the silver market is already open. So <laughs> hey, it opens before the afternoon games are over. By the time the game is done, the, pain, right? <laughs> the silver market opening in the Far East already down a little bit, but We'll hope for the best and look forward to having some fun with that this weekend. Although, on to something that has... Can I just... I need to correct one more thing here. Please. And this this ties into this idea that when people, you know, 
I mean, we can talk a little bit more in depth about this in a few minutes, but a lot of the downward price action we're seeing is only occurring in the paper gold market, the derivatives market. It occurs when the COMEX is open either electronically or, you know, the official floor hours open at 8.20 New York time, right? So when the access, it used to be called the access, when the Globex system kicks back in at, at, at uh, 6 p.m. New York time, 4 p.m. my time on a Sunday, the Eastern markets, the Far East markets aren't open yet, right? They're not open for trading. Australia, I think, opens, I don't know, maybe an hour later, so when when the, you know the first the first hour or so of trading, and I, I need to check on on the Australian trading hours, but there's not physical markets in the Eastern Hemisphere trading at that point in time, and I don't I don't consider Australia the Australian markets to be physical trading markets. I mean, yeah, they produce a lot of gold over there, um, but it's not like you know the gold miners at Sunday at 6 p.m. New York time decide to unload a truckload of gold on the on the on the COMEX it's all it's it's electronic trading is what's going on there aren't physical bourses that are open and trading so um and it's like that early you know like this afternoon when when the when the um Globex system kicks up again it's it, you know for the first whatever 30 minutes 60 minutes it's it's digital gold trading. It's not it's not real. You know, there's no real gold changing hands. So, um, and that that's that's my contention. But um, I, I guess what I kind of wanted to talk about today is that the the current. And I've I've mentioned this many times. It's it's not my original thinking. There's a lot of people who feel the same way. But what's going on right now is startlingly similar to what was going on in in the in the economy and the financial markets and and um in the precious metals sector in in the in the late summer and fall of 2008 and i think this time you know the the credit the credit event that's going to hit hit our system is going to be worse than what we saw in 2008 and we can get into that with some of the charts that um, I've prepared. Yeah, and that's something that we did want to touch on today. And here's the Kitco chart of gold in 2008 was over a thousand bucks in March. Interesting, you saw that drop. That was uh, when it dropped to 900, right around when uh, Bear Stearns was taken over by J.P. Morgan. Certainly, some unusual activity that happened then, and then go a couple months forward into late October, gold around 700. That's something that I keep in the back of my mind and am somewhat concerned about where certainly if you have a crisis that would seemingly boost gold and silver in the medium term, although I'm wondering how worried are you that we could see, whether it's margin selling or just the various factors going on that, we do continue to get problems with the banking sector, in the interest rate markets. How concerned are you about a big move down in gold and silver, even if it's just in the short term? That, you know, that's a fantastic question. And you know what? You were right. I, I remember now it wasn't I was thinking gold might have gotten up to like twelve hundred back then. But it was March of, of 20, 
uh, of 2008 gold hit uh i think it actually topped out the futures topped out at 1035 i if memory serves me because i remember i was i was trading gold futures from a from a condo at crested butte in the morning before we went out to ski and i i remember um all of a sudden watching gold get start to get pummeled and it, it did it briefly hit in the futures market 1035 and then it obviously traded down to um 700 almost went below i think it went for a couple ticks below 700 quickly and then um and that was in october of 2008 and silver i think almost hit 20 back then if i recall 21 but any anyway rate um you know this is a great question and uh you know ahead of time i didn't i didn't know you were going to have this question so i didn't i didn't get a chart prepared to illustrate what i'm talking about here but we went over it before we, you know, started recording. And whenever there's been, you know, a cliff dive in the stock market, gold's had different responses. So, you know, back in, in 2008, and I'm, I'm just looking at a weekly chart here with the, with, the, um, with the price of gold overlaid on it. So I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. I mean, I don't have it to, to share with the screen, unfortunately, but... Um, so gold, the, the market back in 2008 went into cliff dive mode, you know, starting in like mid to late September and it, it dropped quickly. I mean, if you look at the weekly chart, it, it goes straight off a cliff. Gold uh, on, a, on a slightly delayed basis followed the, the stock market lower, but it, it followed the stock market lower for maybe three weeks. So it went into cliff dive mode for, for maybe maybe three weeks and then all of a sudden and it might have it might have taken the announcement that Bernanke was said that they were going to start printing money again and gold gold shot up I mean and obviously it, it had a three-year run uh, that took it up to almost 2000 um, and the stock market at that point kept going lower in fact it, it went down between it went down between the the end of October and I think it was call it mid March. It went down almost as much on a points basis as it went down from uh, the you know early summer to the end of to end of October. So um, and then you know it had a brief bounce at the end of two thousand eight. But um, and then as we talked about this, there were there were two periods, one in in mid mid to to late twenty fifteen. And most people probably remember also the market crash in late 2018, you know, when, when Powell came out the day after Christmas and they obviously orchestrated this and, and said they were going to start cutting rates and, and the stock market shot up. But the stock market had had two cliff dive periods in, in late 2015 and late 2018. By the time the, the stock market went into cliff dive mode, gold had already had the snot kicked out of it. All right. And so I'm just looking at just looking at the chart here. And when the market went into cliff dive mode in both of those times, gold started moving higher as the market was going down. And then we talked about that time um, when I was on the phone with my business partner. I think it was May 2010 and he was on the golf course and I he's checked in and he goes, what's going on? I said, what's going on? The Dow's down a thousand points. He's like, what? The Dow's down a thousand points? <laughs> He said some old guy was getting ready to hit his putt and heard him say that and almost had a heart attack. 
<laughs> so and and gold went went down with the stock market you know and then when the dow crossed over from down 500 to down 600 gold did a u-turn followed by silver and then followed by the mining stocks and gold and silver i believe both closed green that day with and i think the dow closed down around 800 or 850 and the mining stocks i was just using the huey if memory serves me um, the mining stocks went green for a while. They might have closed red. So, you know, people can check that, but you can verify the price action if you want on your own. And then we had, of course, you know, the crash in 2020 that was related to, you know, the COVID nonsense. And they, they kind of, the stock market actually started tipping over that year in, in early January before anyone knew what COVID was. And um, so, but gold went in, went into crash mode very briefly along with the stock market in, in March that year, but then gold started moving higher a few days ahead of the stock market. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think if, well, I think the stock market at some point will go into crash mode, but um, that, what I, you know, with gold, it could go either way. You know, you could get a situation where the, where the hedge funds and retail's not, and high net worth guys aren't a significant part of COMEX future. So I'm not worried about margin calls from them, but I'm, I'd be worried about margin calls from the hedge funds. So if the hedge funds go into a mode where, you know, they start selling everything that's not nailed down in their office when the market stock market goes into crash mode, then, yeah, I think we'll get a brief, you know, a, a brief down ride on the broke on the elevator with a broken cable with gold. But I think it'll be brief. And then I think because, you know, the banks will step aside and see how well they can get their shorts covered. Um, but at some point, you know, I think gold and silver will do a U-turn and, and head higher. And I don't know what the stock market will do after that. It'll probably depend on, on you know, what the Fed does or how the Fed reacts. So um, that's my thinking there. I, I, I think what, what you got to do, I mean, I think the mining stocks are already... And they could go lower, but they're not going to go a lot lower than where they are now. Um, but I think what you got to do is, is if 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 the stock market goes into crash mode and and gold and silver. And again, it's it's going to be in the futures market. It's not going to be like, you know, China calls up their broker on on the LBMA and unloads 10 tons of gold on the LBMA. They're not going to be physical gold selling in quantities. Um, so I think if, if if the market does go into into if gold and silver do go into brief crash mode, just realize it's sit on your hands, realize it's in the in the in the only going on in the paper market and try not to have a heart attack. <laughs> Good advice. And uh, <laughs> I think what a lot of gold and silver investors might have been trying to do these past couple of weeks. Now, Dave, in there, you mentioned a lot of this is based on what the Fed is going to try and do. And you've talked quite a bit before in some of your previous reports about the reasons why it seems like inevitably they're going to have to start QE again. And let's pull up the uh, bond chart where we can see quite a spike in yields, as people are well aware of. On Wednesday, got as high as 4.88%, has come back in a bit since then. We're recording late Wednesday afternoon. What do you feel is driving this? I mean, we have the inflation government numbers starting to tick back up again. Obviously, you have the Fed raising rates higher for longer, but seems like this has really accelerated. And I'm curious what you feel is really the main driver behind 
this move we've seen, which has occurred primarily in the last month since the last Fed meeting. Is it just the Fed or do you think there's more going on here than that? Well, I think there's quite a bit more going on than that. Um, I think, uh, I mean, we don't have to follow my charts in order. I mean, if you want to pull up the, the, the chart five, just to kind of illustrate what it's done to what that, you know, what the move's doing to bond prices. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can see where that move you're talking about. Um, well, I don't have a, I can't, you know, that, that last little cliff dive there from, from almost one eight. Yeah. Right there. I and mean, that's, that's probably that rise in interest rates, you know, that, that you show on, on the screen. I mean, to begin with, I think it's a supply and demand issue, right? You've got, you've got China is, is they're not, they're not reloading the treasury bonds that mature that they hold. And they've been selling treasury bonds, right? I mean, you know, look, that's the, I mean, they've, they've sold nearly half a trillion treasuries since, since 2013. And it, and it, you know, it's accelerated since the middle of 2021, right? Why, you know, the U S and I don't care what anyone says, interest, real interest rates are still negative. You know, that, that, that calculus that uses the, the tip, the tip yield, right? The treasury inflation protected securities yield. That's a flawed metric because it's it's derived from the consumer price index. And it slays me, you know, blows my mind that there's a lot of people out there who know that the CPI is flawed. And they, and they know that the government manipulates the CPI to try and cover up the real rate of inflation. And yet they point to the tip yield calculus as as a measure of real interest rates. Well, they're not because it's it doesn't the real inflation rates probably double what the CPI is telling us. So that means re, real interest rates are still negative. And, and and that's when you have negative real interest rates, you, you know, it's it's it devalues the value of the dollar. So and, and that it, that it's not lost on the Chinese. I mean, I, I would argue that the the um the value of the of the dollar index, and we don't we, let's we won't get into it today. But the dollar index isn't rallying because people because it's because it's king dollar and everyone's flying fleeing for safety to the dollar. Um, the the dollar index and does not reflect the full devaluation of the dollar that's occurred between two thousand eight and now from the money printing. Right. So and and so you know. Because of that, the yield at the long end of the treasury curve does not risk, does not reflect the amount of risk that's involved when the dollar resets, because it will reset lower at some point. Um, and so I, I think that, I think if you have to buy treasuries, I think you're nuts if you buy anything longer than than 12 month, 12 month bills, right? Because you can get well north of 5%. On a on a on a T bill, so why would you invest in a in a ten year treasury under five percent? I mean, you're not even remotely getting compensated for all the risk that's involved. That's 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 you know that's involved with investing that that far out at at under five percent. Because first of all, you're you're losing you're losing value to the dollars that you're investing in there because rates are negative. 
real rates are negative and the dollar is going to continue to be devalued you know unless unless the fed has some plan is colluding with the other western central banks and the governments to collapse the system they're going to have to print money again at some point so it's kind of a long-winded way of explaining one of the variables that is forcing interest rates higher so i i think you've got I think it's dawning on, you know, investors, and I'm not talking about retail guys or high net worth guys, hedge fund guys, professional investors that run big pools of capital. It's like, why am I buying a 10-year under 5% when I can buy a, a you know, a T-bill at well over 5% or put my money in a money market? And you're seeing that in the flows now because, because money markets keep getting more and more cash every week and money's flowing out of banks out of you know out of out of deposit out of demand accounts so that's part of it i think also the 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 um rising yields at the end of the at the longer end of the curve reflect the like all of a sudden it's dawning on the market that yeah inflation's kicking back up and there's risk especially with what's going on with energy prices labor strikes um businesses have to raise they're, they're still raising their prices to cover their rising, the cost of, of doing their businesses. That inflation, you know, it's not transitory. The, the, the hike, the interest rate hike from zero to where are we? Five and a half percent or five and a quarter to five fifty, whatever the hell the, the, the fed funds range is that hasn't slowed down inflation. I mean, if anything slowed down inflation, it's, it's, it's been because Biden, you know, has unloaded, a substantial portion of the strategic petroleum reserve to get energy prices down. Well, that was a quick fix and it was also short lived. Well, guess what? I'm paying more for gasoline now than I have at any point, maybe in my lifetime, except, you know, at least in Colorado, obviously, you know, if I went, if I go to Aspen, I'll pay a lot more in Aspen than I will here. If I go to New York, I'll pay a lot more in New York, but in Denver, I'm paying the most that I've ever paid for gasoline ever that I can recall. So um, I, I think expect inflation expectations have ratcheted back up. Um, I think the Fed's probably good for one more rate hike, you know, and, and maybe the long end is adjusting to that expectation after the last Fed meeting. You know, I, I don't, I don't think the Fed's going to keep, maybe they'll keep hiking rates. I don't know. Do they want to, do they want to, you know, continue crashing the economy? Fine. Keep hiking rates. <laughs> if you want to attack inflation, Start pulling, start reducing your balance sheet at a much quicker rate and start pulling liquidity out of the system at a much quicker rate, you know, but they know they, they know they can't do that because that'll definitely collapse the system. You know, they're trying to do it. They're trying to pull out gradually, you know, like when the condom breaks, pull out slowly, honey, maybe nothing will leak, right? Well, that's a bunch of BS because we're not headed for a soft landing. We're headed for a very hard landing. So, you know, and and now, so not only I think do you have sophisticated investors finally shifting their capital allocations from the long end to the short end. I, I, and I also think it's gonna, you know, I think there it also means there's gonna be a lot less investors, foreign and domestic, that when the treasury starts to issue longer, longer dated paper in droves, which they, they'll have to at some point, um, because if they start, if they keep issuing, you know, short, short, short term paper to finance the spending deficit, they're going to keep driving short term rates higher because out of sheer supply and demand. So I think in order to attract 
money into the longer end of the curve, you're going to have to see the long end of the curve go a lot higher in rates. Otherwise, why the hell would you buy a 10-year? Why would you buy a seven-year? Why would you buy a five-year? And something you've mentioned as we've talked about in the last couple of days is that you're hearing concerns about Bank of America. I mentioned previously on the show how there was that Wall Street on Parade article that showed they had $106 billion in held to maturity, unrealized losses. How much higher do you think this market can handle rates before things like that start to pop up? And what, what are you seeing in terms of weakness in the banking sector at this point? Well, it's already popped up, right? We had we had three we had the three largest bank collapses in in U.S. history last last March, right? Last spring. So I believe they were the three largest. If not, there were three of the four largest. I don't remember the sizes of the the, the banks that went under. Washington Mutual was first, and that were those were two, three, and four. Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, um. I mean, just just to put some some more context on that Wall Street on Parade article, Bank of America's unrealized losses on their held to maturity portfolio, right? And let's make no mistake: the reason why the the, the reason why banks shift their long duration assets into the HTM categories because they don't have to recognize unrealized losses on on through their in their income statement. That was, I believe that was one of the genius uh, legal accounting changes that was made after the, the great financial crisis. So uh, Bank of America's unreal losses are 34% of the total hold to maturity losses reported in aggregate by 4,645 banks. So all the banks that report to the Fed, they're... they're um, hold to maturity unrealized losses in their portfolio. Bank of America's HTM losses represents 34% of that number. And, and then I did some further refinement uh, to the Wall Street on Parade numbers. The hold to maturity losses, the, um, the, the hold to, to maturity portfolio at, on Bank of America's balance sheet is 20% of Bank of America's total balance sheet size, the size of Bank of, Bank of America's balance sheet. So think about that for a second. They're sitting on, you know, massive hold to maturity losses. If they, for some reason, and this, these are probably among their most liquid assets. They, they can't go out and sell credit card loans. You know, they're, 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 they're defaulted credit card loans. Um, they can't go out you know, and, and sell you know, a lot of their commercial real estate holdings. Who the hell is going to buy it? I mean, you're stepping on landmines if you buy that crap. So this whole to maturity portfolio is probably their most liquid asset, you know, other than other than maybe if they have some T-bills. So, you know, if they if 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 they get a run on their deposits, what are they going to sell to cover to cover that? Right. That's that's how those three regional banks blew up. So that that that's 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 just you know Bank of America, and that's just one sign. I have a chart in there somewhere that you had pulled up earlier, and that's that shows the um, that shows credit card delinquencies at at the um, at all the banks except the top one hundred. So 
So, you know, a lot of these regional banks, they, you know, they're a little more lenient with, with, you know, subprime bank you know, credit card loans, um, things like that. Um, and, and so you can see the delinquency rate was higher than it was in 2019 and 2020. And we know the banks were in trouble in 2020. That's when that, that so-called temporary overnight repo program was started in September that year. That's because the banks were, were needed liquidity. They were about ready to face a liquidity crisis. And the, the overnight repos turned into um, one week in duration, then two week in duration, then, um, well, we're just going to hand the banks some money. And when they decide to pay it back, they pay it back. And that's what led to, it wasn't the COVID thing per se, the COVID nonsense per se, the bank, the Fed needed an excuse to throw three, three billion, three trillion all at once into the banking system, and I think they ended up eventually putting four trillion in. But if you remember, I think it was a, it was a three, three, three trillion dollar um, injection pretty much all at once. So, and that's because the banks were, and the whole system was tipping over then, and now we're back to where we were then. It's, it, it may be worse. I mean, the credit card delinquencies are worse. You know, you got student loan payments kicking in. Um, you've got, you know, obviously the commercial real estate issue with the commercial real estate debt. I mean, that the 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 default rate and the distressed rate on commercial real estate loans is is ungodly. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it in this country. Right. Not not in 1990. You know, when they had to establish the RTC to to buy the savings and loan um, assets and and piece some piecemeal them out on a distressed basis um, and not in 2008. So you've got that. Um, mortgage, mortgage delinquencies are starting to ratchet up. Um, I had another chart that I put in there, you know, that 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 said that um, used car loans are, are headed for a crisis. So, um, I mean, the credit, the credit system, the, the banking system and, and the credit markets, I mean, it, it's it's a ticking time bomb. And it's, it's not just, it's not, well, 2008 was about the mortgage mortgage problem, but that was, a, you know, a small slice of the entire mortgage market. What amplified that problem was the derivatives. And we saw that with Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs almost met its maker. And if, if Henry Paulson, which I claim is by design, wasn't in the treasury, wasn't the secretary of treasury, I'm not sure Goldman would have gotten bailed out like they did. You know, they might have let Goldman go in, instead of Lehman. So, um, you know, I think there's any number of, of regional and big banks that could blow up this time. And, and the derivative problem we know is worse. It's not they, they they didn't make the derivatives market safer like they claim they did back in 2008. They just made it easier to hide the problems and hide the losses and hide the exposure, just like they did with hold to maturity securities accounting. Well, it seems you, ready, you ready to put a gun to your head yet? I mean, I, I may have hit that point a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's heavy <laughs> reading through the things that are going on out there, and by all means, I, I I'm not trying to do fear porn or anything, but these these are the factors that we're it's looking not at. Fear porn. And, and we're, it, we're, we're probably understating how bad things are because we can't. We don't know. They intentionally made. The accounting rules and the and the legal rules, uh, they, they they made them the way they are to make the whole system more opaque. 
than it was back in 2008. Well, like you said, it, it's heavy digging into this on a day-by-day -day basis. And I imagine it's heavy for a lot of people at home who are watching and, and seeing these things play out. And then, of course, uh, Janet Yellen comes on TV and says the economy is rosy and everything is strong. And I'll, I'll let I'll let people know that I did send you that picture of Janet uh, via text message last week to get that image lodged in your subconscious oh. before bedtime. So fighting a little bit dirty, but um, yeah, it, it is some heavy stuff going on out there. Although I think it's better to be aware of it rather than caught blindsided like a lot of people were back in 2007, 2008 when Bernanke was saying subprime was contained and found out it wasn't. So well, can we, I understand? We know, the, the, huh? You know, the, the guys that I chummed around with in, in chat rooms and we discussed, we were discussing all this stuff in the early 2000s. And we knew when Bernanke said that we fell off our chairs laughing. It was not even close to being contained, pal. I mean, you know, it's 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 like the old Wall Street trading desk joke. You know, how, how do you know when a trader is lying? You know, his lips are moving. How do you know when a Fed official is lying? His lips are moving. Well, I mean, if everything was fine, why would there be the need to drain the SPR? Or why would there be the need for a bank term funding program? And Exactly. Some of the signs that things aren't ideal. And perhaps maybe wrap up by saying that at least, you know, we, we do have that precedent we discussed of 2008 when gold and silver fell, although counterbalancing that somewhat we did get the recent example of what happened back in march when these banks fell and we saw quite a surge gold and silver not only on the physical level but really in the comex futures pricing as well so i understand it's a bit of a tough time for people while we're watching silver hover around 21 bucks gold back into the 1800s although like you and i were discussing a little bit earlier I understand it's not fun when they're down, although given some of the things that are happening and some of the longer for higher rates that we've seen could have been worse. And I think a big impact is that we are seeing the de-dollarization. We are seeing central bank gold buying. So providing a bit of a floor, especially on the gold side. So Either case, we'll see what happens. Certainly a lot going on out there. And Dave, appreciate you joining me today to shed some light on some of these things. And before we wrap up, did want to mention that today's show was brought to us by Silver Viper, which I know is one that you have been looking at as they are getting set to continue drilling at La Virginia. Also still on track for an update to their resource, which will probably be in early next year. But any thoughts you wanted to pass along today on Silver Viper, which I know you look at in your mining stock investing journal? Yes. Um, first of all, I just wanted to talk, you know, you mentioned that it's it gets kind of heavy digging into this stuff on a daily basis. And I, I mean, for me, it's brutal because I, you know, I, I, every week I put a ton of economic analysis in my short sellers journal. So I, I got to look at, I look at these numbers, you know, across the economy, every sector. And, you know, I, I, when you really look at it and drill down, you see how bad the economy really is right now. It's not good. Um, but uh, at, at any rate, uh, I actually had a bunch of subscribers 
emailing me about Silver Viper, you know, because the stock, I mean, it's a six cents, right? I mean, the market cap is something like 12 or 13 million. It's a joke considering the, the current resource that they have. And it's it's going to get, the resource is going to get bigger. So I I uh, emailed Steve Cope to say, you know, ask him what the catalyst might be. Because, you know, I, I personally believe, and maybe I'll save this for the next uh the next podcast, the next bi-weekly podcast. I personally believe that we're setting up for um, a similar scenario in 2008 where we're going to get a big move higher. And to be honest, I mean, if you look at it, gold and silver, more so gold than silver, but even silver has held up remarkably well compared to what happened to it in 2008, right? And And so I think the poor sentiment in the sector has to do with you know, I think most people who participate in the precious metal sector, you know, are loaded up on mining stocks and they're loaded up on junior mining stocks because it's the highest reward area if you're willing to take the risks. But there's also risks there. You know, you don't realize the loss unless you sell it. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I, I've got the majority of my investable funds and in, sitting in physical gold and silver. You know, maybe maybe thirty percent in mining stocks, and that's by design because I know the mining stocks they're risky, even even the good ones, and you got to live through periods like this. But um, I mean, you know, at, at six cents on Silver Viper, there's there's very little downside, and you've got if we go into the type of move that I I think is coming, you know, and who knows when, you know, eventually, maybe before the end of the year. Um, if it's like 2008, like I think it is, I mean, we could we could start to see a move next month. Um, but, you know, a, a stock like Silver Viper, I think I think it was what at, at 40 cents not too long ago. It peaked, I think it peaked at what, 60 cents yep. within the last three, three years yeah, back in 2021. Right. I mean, you know, if we go into into a serious bull mode in the precious metal sector, you're going to see stocks like Silver Viper that are just had holy hell beat out of them. You know, they're going to, they're going to make the biggest moves, whether it's warranted or not. Right. Because it, you know, a, it's got silver in the name and, and, and precious metals investors seem to be silver junkies. We all are I'm guilty. Um, and, and also because, you know, they're, they're going to make more discoveries on that property. And it'd be nice if they could get the stock price higher after this this drill drill program and and um, revised uh, updated mineral estimate resource estimate because if you know they're going to have to raise money again at some point you know companies like this you want them to have plenty of money so they can drill the crap out of their properties especially if they've already given indication that there's that there's economic resource on it so I mean we don't know for sure that. Um, that La Virginia, if the resource is economic, but it most likely is at some price of silver, maybe even economic at the current price of silver, who knows? But, um, you know, eventually we're going to find out. And I mean, your your downside on Silver Viper is six cents, right? And it won't go to zero. I mean, you know, they, there's there's some down bid value to, to this project for, for another company. Um, but, you know, your upside is five to 10 times the current price. And, and so why wouldn't you, um, why wouldn't you buy some here? And that's, that's what I asked, you know, I said, ask Steve what the catalysts were going to be. 
And he's jumping at the bit to get this drill program started. I think it'll start any day. I, I didn't get a chance to, I'm going to watch the replay of that webinar. So he might've talked about it in the webinar. And then after this drill, and they're going to test an, a new, a new target zone, El Molino, that they have reason to believe could be very highly prospective and, and contain a fair amount of silver. Um, and they're going to, so they're going to test drill that. And if they make a discovery there, there's your catalyst to start moving the stock, especially if, the sector's in an upswing um, by the time these drill results come out. And then you'll get an updated resource estimate, as you say, um, probably sometime in the first quarter, if all goes you know, smoothly and they don't, there's not any holdups at the assay labs and, and the independent, you know, the independent resource estimate. Well, I agree with what you're saying. And obviously we've seen the whole sector get hammered pretty thoroughly. Whether we're at the bottom, I suppose we'll find out in due time, but either case, certainly uh, some good things going on at Silver Viper and appreciate their involvement in the show. Dave, appreciate- Got to put up chart 13 to, to close out the video because this is this is what it's going to be like. <laughs> I don't know if Tavi was the one who created this chart. If he did, it's, it's hysterical. He posted it on Twitter within the last few days. And this 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 sums it up. This is what it was like in 2008, right? I mean, people people didn't want anything to do with gold between between the end of 2008 and the the end of 2009. And then all of a sudden in 2010, people couldn't get enough gold when the price had already, I you know, I, it more than doubled at that point. So. <laughs> That does seem to be how it works. And obviously the uh, window perhaps a little empty right now at 1850, although again, with the various factors going on and per perhaps perhaps it'll take for the Fed to cut interest rates, although you played out a good case of why that is coming at some point. We'll see when that manifests, but- Hey, I'm, you know, I'm buying, I'm, I if you don't own any silver or gold, you got to you should buy some now. I mean, I I bought more silver a couple of weeks ago and it's the highest price per ounce I've ever paid in my life because I think it's going to go a lot higher. What else am I going to do with with my cash? I'm not going to keep it in a bank. I'm not going to keep it in a regional bank. I'm not putting it in a, you know, I refuse to do business with JP Morgan. <laughs> so, and I you know, another subscriber had asked me, you know, am I still investing in T-bills? I said no. I said, right now, I don't want to be locked in for a month because the, the the mining stock sector could take off at any time. It's historically cheap relative to the price of gold right now. It could start taking off at any time here. And I want to have cash ready because I've got a, a shopping list that I discussed in my mining stock journal, the new issue that'll be out tomorrow. Um, you know, what's on my shopping list or some of the stocks that are on my shopping list? I just bought more Viva Gold today. Well, I hear you. And again, people can find you as always at Investment Research Dynamics, where you do publish the Mining Stock Journal and the Short Sellers Journal. So Dave, I appreciate you making some time. Appreciate you being a part of the show every other week on your bi-weekly schedule and <laughs> um, just helpful to see the things that you're looking at because you do go through an incredible amount of data, which you share in those journals and uh, I think people find that helpful to get an update from you every couple of weeks. So 
Thank you, as always. You stay well out there, and we'll see uh, what the next couple of weeks and months to the end of 2023 bring, but going to be interesting, to say the least. So, You stay well as well, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting something that looks like this from you after this weekend. <laughs> well, we shall see how it goes on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, we'll have the silver price a little bit higher one way or another, regardless of who wins the football game, but... I'll look forward to uh, texting back and forth with you some good football and silver jokes while that's going on. And Absolutely. Look forward to catching up with you soon again soon, my friend. Likewise, Chris.